Welcome. This is DevSecOp episode 11. And today we are doing, can you say that we are doing a deep dive? Oh, I think we're trying to. We're still working on the format. Hello, yes. everyone. That's Andre. Yeah. Julian, you're also here, right? Hey, hello, everyone. Are you done with your pen and paper writing stuff now? Yes. Yeah, cool. Uh, so this is uh, a deep dive in uh, AVS security. That's correct. But uh, shall we do like what we've been learning doing for the last, yeah, true. Time, last time? True. So, uh, guys, what have you been working on since the last episode? Uh, Julian, do you want to start? You have done some. Oh, okay. Um, well, I started learning uh, machine learning and I started from the base with statistics and going my way from there. I, th- I, I think it's quite interesting. And it was a, it looked like a daunting task, but the more you put work, the easier it looks, or at least the more familiar it looks. So I, I would recommend, like, if someone wants to learn machine learning, to not give up, give give it some time, and it it will come. Start at the basics, and the rest will flow. But but, but how how do you start the basic? You collect some data. Uh, you're talking about the process or the. Learning yeah. now the the process more or less. Yeah, basically you have it, it's very much data engineering at the bottom. So you you clean, you gather the data, you put them yeah. in the right format, uh, you you make sure that the lineage, meaning where the data come from, you you can understand where the data come from, um, all those things. Once you have those data, you can train um, a model with an algorithm so what you you can choose like a there, there is many for different type of result that you want to have whether depending on the data you can use different algorithm uh-huh. um, I, I i will not start a course on machine learning now because it's going to take <laughs> a, a while uh, for yeah. me and it's not the podcast but it, it's very interesting basically you you need data and a lot of processing power yeah. For, to train the model on the on those data, and once you have that, after it generates um, what you call a, a train model, and that is actually code oh. uh, that you can use in production, and that's what oh. the API, all the the machine learning API you see on the cloud, that they follow more or less the same process. So they have a they they pre-trained model. So yeah. you know, vision API, uh, speech to text API, all those things. They they already have trained the model and they let you use the the finished model. Yeah, cool. It's going to be interesting to to follow your your journey here on machine learning. Thank you. I really look forward to it. But uh, I'm not uh, advanced enough to talk flawlessly about it. It it takes a while. Cool, cool, cool. Andre, what what have you been up to? Yeah, there are two things that I that I've been working on, or like that drew my attention. One of them, my spare time, I'm building the radio server in Golang 
which will have uh, Duo and Okta support for MFA, so the radio server is LDAP-based. You do primary authentication with LDAP, and then you could configure it to do as a, as a Duo push or Okta, whatever you have. Um, that would be useful for people like trying VPNs, for instance. You can put it next to yeah. your VPN server and have stateless VPN comparing to open VPN where you have to distribute the keys or like the wire guard yeah. where you also have to distribute the certificates. Maybe we'll also build some kind of wrapper around WireGuard to build, uh, to distribute keys. And there is actually like a company doing that. I think like tail, tail spin or something like that. Anyhow, that's not the point. And another thing is I attended the HashiCorp Digital. And, yeah. And that was really good, I, I say. Because like HashiConf, usually it's a top-notch conference. It's really well done, really well arranged. And i always looking forward to attending the HashiConfs. And I'm very pleased that they managed to bring the same level of attention to detail to the virtual event as well. Yeah. So like usually the virtual conference would be like, you know, people just share the slides over the Zoom. Here was different. Here you had actually experience being on the conference. So you would have like a host that would have a conversation going between the talks. And then you can move between the tracks and there are like the virtual meetups. That was like a, a pop-up meetups where you can just join the rooms and talk to people. And also you could like ask the questions to the speakers and it was all very well managed. And also it felt like a big bug recording all like the production thing because they, they actually had like a production company doing all of that. The video was top notch. The quality was really good. No problems anywhere. So, and cool, cool. I enjoyed it a lot. I, I, uh, I was honored to be able to give a talk there. So I gave 25 minutes presentation on doing Vault with Terraform. That's like the, my go-to talk nowadays. Yeah. Uh, so good for me because it was very well rehearsed. I, I knew the material in and out and just come in and deliver the talk. But I also got a really good response from participants. A lot of people reached out, asked for slides, thanks for the presentation. So I think oh, it, nice. it went well, I think. Also, the HashiCorp actually announced something that I don't know if I, I think I could, we can say that not many expected. Besides, like yeah. usually on those conferences, they would announce the new versions of their products or maybe some new products. And they did announce uh, Console 1.8, Nomad 1.12, I think. Oh, 11, I'm, I'm confused now. Anyhow, then Terraform 0.13, which actually now have a count, count for models, which, which is like a big thing. If you're a Terraform person, Terraform 0.13 has a count for models, and many people were waiting for that. And it's there now, and they also have the dynamic block, so you can also iterate over the maps, so it's more like advanced and count, also for models, which is super cool. But the thing they announced that uh, took at least me by surprise is uh, HashiCorp Cloud Platform. And that's HashiCorp Products as a Service. So HashiCorp would host Vault, Console, and other products for you in their own cloud. And then, like in case of so AWS, you can uh, VPC peer 
uh, their network into your network and access those services, which is super interesting offering, I think, that might save uh, some boilerplate work for people. Uh, but it does depend from uh, from the pricing for it, because HashiCorp known to be kind of pricey. Well, you can say so, I think. It depends how deep your pockets are. And uh, we will see. So that might be a solution not for everyone. And consultants as I am will still have something to do when it comes to HashiStack. But we will see. They starting with a, they had like a console service for Azure for quite some time, and now they have, and now they have uh, the same type of service for AWS and USVS two, and it's closed button for invitations. But that was quite interesting. There were other great presentations. They will be on YouTube after July one, so check it out if you are HashiCorp person as I am. And that wraps up my. My things that I did since last time. Is there a talk, since you participate into the conference, is there a talk that marked you, that was interesting, uh, something that you would like to share about with, with a topic in the conference? Uh, let's see. I, I cannot say that I was going after the most interesting talk. Like I was trying to learn about the topics I'm interested in, like, for instance, Walt, watching couple of talks about Walt. Uh, Elsa trying to catch up what's going on with uh, with this uh, HashiCorp offering. The new offerings, they had a couple of talks on that one. So they did a demo and I, I watched this one. The one that I liked was not a talk, as like a, in a talk sense, but it was like a panel with uh, Kelsey Hightower. You cannot do the conference without Kelsey nowadays. And uh, it was more like discussion about how he got in tech, how he got started, how he evolved as a, as a technical person, the businesses he started, and also the hurdles he faced during the time. And it also like came hand in hand with all this unrest going on in the US. So he also spoke about that. And it was very open presentation and like a very open talk from him. So I think it was great and I would recommend people check that out. And I'm still catching up with all the talks. I haven't watched everything, so I um, I might have a better answer later on. Cool. And uh, what would be the topic yes. for today? What is the paper about? The topic for today is a white paper. This is a white paper by Scott Piper from Summit Road. He is a consultant focused on AWS security. And he published a 10-page document, which he doesn't ask email for, which is very nice of you, Scott. That's very rare. Yeah, we just about rare. And uh, we're going to go through the document. And this document called AWS Security Maturity Roadmap for 2020. And it was published in May 2020, so it's kind of fresh. If you haven't seen it, now we're going to get you up to speed. And I, I have it right in front of me. And obviously, we're not going to read all 10 papers, 
pages, but it's just we could. It's not that much, but uh, we're gonna scroll down to the page number three, where he lists most common security incidents, which I I think there is no surprises for anyone, right? Uh, well, I do. You have the white paper open? Can you see it? Yes. I, I, I wanted to have a guess game, but then, well, probably not. <laughs> but it is uh, publicly accessible resources such as S3 buckets and Elasticsearch clusters on the first place. No surprises. Yeah. Happening no all surprise. the time, even now. I mean, like, why is, why I is this still happening? I don't know. It's insane. How, somehow people getting themselves exposed with that. Like, uh, just a week or two weeks ago, there was a big article about dating sites exposing 845 yeah. gigabytes of data yeah, yeah. of their users on the OpenS3 bucket. Why, why would you put it there? Anyhow, yeah. uh, the second one is leaked access keys. For example, keys posted yeah. to GitHub, which is also quite known. I think actually GitHub yeah. is about to take steps. They said that they would be scanning repositories for secrets. They already do. Uh, <clears throat> someone, I won't say any names, uh, accidentally posted some access key to Google Cloud mm. in the GitHub. And uh, within uh, like an hour or something, you, you will receive an email saying mm. that, oh, this key here has been compromised. Right. And uh, then, of course, you go and exchange that key, right? Mm, that's good stuff. Uh, so they started. I think also uh, Amazon started also like buckets are uh, not public as default now. You have to like explicitly tell them this is a public bucket here and warn you about it, right? Yeah, they do warn you. I'm not sure if they're yeah. private by default, but they, they do warn you that if it's safe. Yeah, yeah. And number three is compromised IAM rules through SSRF or RC against EC2 resulting in access to metadata service at 169.254.169.254, which is AWS metadata endpoint. If you're not aware, you can see URLs that one to get your instance profile keys. You exfiltrate those keys, and then you can do stuff on your own computer. Yeah. (laughs) It's a nice nice feature. But I mean, how would you protect you uh, against this? Yeah, this is what he writes in the white paper about. Oh, so nice. Now we move on down to the Let's go point. Down. So he suggests that you do an inventory as a stage one. So you identify all AWS accounts in the company and their point of contacts, which makes sense. You integrate all those accounts into AWS organization. So you can have a centralized controls over those accounts. And you have a separate account for security where you could have stuff like Security Hub, where you could consolidate your cloud trail logs and things like that. So this is all, all, it all makes sense to me. Like, yeah, do that. Another thing that you could have with AWS organization is something called... um, security policies, organization security policies yeah. that you could apply across all the organization, for instance, disable the services that you're not using. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, this is, of course, when you start with a new AVS account and nobody's touched it before, it's simple to set up and, and structure. But what happened to me, not one, but maybe twice, is that you come into AVS account and someone started it and it's already a bunch of accounts and they have like admin access and you see access keys that are over 500 days old and you have all this like legacy already in the account like is it possible to start like cleaning it up or just move to a new account and, and, and move you know this, this, this is something that you would have to work through it's a journey I mean every time you face a legacy system it's not something that you do overnight it's, right. a, it's a journey and you need to identify the step and I would say like if you're coming into organizations, there are a lot of accounts, uh, and uh, getting them into one organization yeah. is a good step because then you could have like overview, like in the yeah, security yeah. accounts of all the issues and all the accounts. You can identify the most problematic ones, start work yeah. there. When everything is clean there, you move on. You know, like you have a roadmap of things that you could do. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Google Cloud approach here. I mean, with having the projects, you have this like organization then you have sub projects under it and it's simple to inherit i don't think that's that's simple in avs it's more more complicated you have to link accounts and stuff man. and then you have to like roles you have to what do you call it you have to take over roles to get access to another account yeah it's a little bit more okay julian what are your thoughts here well, I, I see the pain point of, uh, of that in the cloud. And I think that each cloud provider does it its own way. Yeah. Um, having an inventory, I, I think like that's a, doesn't matter what you have. Even if you're on-prem, you need an inventory. Yeah. Oh. Right? It, it's, it, like, those are more like uh, guidelines for security in general. You need to know what you have in order to secure yeah. it. Like it's, as far as I'm concerned, that sounds like a good start. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the thing is that how, how much work does that require? You understand? If you have to implement your own uh, software to scan all the API of, you know, all your AWS account, this is a full-time job almost. Yeah. Because wow. there are controls for that that we're going to get to. Yeah, but it's also like how big is the inventory? I mean, it can go for like Ubuntu server. Ubuntu server with this version of this kernel or this but um, it, level, yeah. I would recommend that you check out uh, for SETI security. It's only for Google Cloud, but it's a software made uh, um, with Google and Spotify. Mm. So yeah. it, it's, a, it's a policy enforcer for your whole organization. For instance, you can define like, okay, I don't want any VM with the port 22 open mm. except yeah. those or, you know, oh. those kind of things. And so what it does is exactly that. It scans all the API and just store that in the database and query. It's like a Chrome job that just scans everything and enforce some policy. If he sees, you define the rules. Basically, if yeah. that result is this, just do that. And um, it, it's quite like a immutable infrastructure. Like, uh, you know, like yeah, every we, week. We discussed that before. As last time you said, you AWS config, which is exactly the same as a part of AWS platform. So, the good thing, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm saying it's good. I'm just saying that AWS has the same thing. It's called AWS. They have the same approach. 
Yeah. Why is it? I mean, okay. So another then question here is like, do you need an inventory if you can set a policy on the nodes? Let's stay focused. We're going through ah. the white paper. There are 11 stages, and we're stuck on the first okay. one. Focus. Okay, continue, man. Continue on. All right, stage number two. Have a backups, um, yeah. which is also kind of makes sense. I don't, I, I, I'm not going to say anything about it, but have a backups. Yeah. Visibility... Well, I- I can yeah. say a funny thing about backup here because I was at this conference and there was a big security company and they had this product for securing against uh, uh, ransomware, right? Mm. And they're like, yeah, we have this problem here. We're going to keep the ransomwares out and if we find something, we can hunt them down. Look at this example here. We found the ransomware. They had a Tor IP and we can track them down. Mm. And then the internet is like, well, if the company is a good backup, mm. Then if you get the ransomware, you roll back the backup. You lose yeah. the time. If you, if you have your backup. backup separately and they're not gotten, they're not getting yeah, encrypted. Yeah. Safe backups. I mean, saves you from ransomware. You don't need the other flashy thing. Okay, sorry. Is the no stage number three visibility and initial remediation? Yeah. Uh, what is suggested here is that you turn in cloud trail which basically records all API calls. You turn on Guard Duty, which analyzes all the API calls for suspicious behavior. And it has like heuristics in there. And it also analyzes uh, your VPC traffic, for instance. So if you have outgoing HTTP call to somewhere, for instance. Yeah like a web shell is popping up or something like that. Then, uh, or like, you know, reverse shell. Then the guard duty will create an incident and warn you, and then you can configure a Lambda function to send a notification to Slack so you can react faster on that to have a SNS topic. And also access analyzer, enable access analyzer, which is a new thing uh, that they added recently. And access analyzer is is basically checking your IAM roles and users and checks if it gives uh, access from outside of your account. So it will highlight all the instances when something from outside of your account has access to the stuff in your account, which is useful. You have a lot of stuff going on there and you really want to know when there is something like this. Then create an IAM role in every account that grants view access into the account from the security account. So you want to be able to assume the role in another account and view what's going on. Yeah. Run a one-time scanning tool to identify tactical remediations. We're going to get down to that. Turn on S3 public block access. And this is something that AWS added last year. S3 public block access allows you to block all the public access to the S3 bucket and also cross-account access. And if you turn that, like, for instance, you might have a private bucket, completely private, it's not open, but users can change the ACL of the object and make the object public within the private bucket. These things prevents everything. So if you have this one on, you know it's, like, totally private. 
and develop an account initialization script and new account creation processes. So you could you could uh, have um, a better way of creating accounts when you come forward. One thing that I would like to highlight is the tools he mentioned. Run a one-time scanning tool to identify tactical remediations. So yeah. he mentions a couple of tools in here. One of them is a cloud mapper, another one is Prowler, and the third one is Suite. I did yeah. use Prowler, and it's a Python thing that is basically calling the AWS APIs, I believe via AWS CLI, and then benchmark your infrastructure towards the certain standards. Yeah. For instance, Sys cloud security and stuff like that. Yeah. And that gives you a benchmark, like saying like, you need to work on this, 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 and that. Another thing is that AWS have something called Security Hub nowadays, and it comes with the rules for AWS configs that you can enable, and it will do a similar thing. But I believe problem checks more than Security Hub. And yeah. I haven't worked with other tools, so I cannot tell how good they are. I think this is a great any, any tools for the for the scouting issues. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have a lot of tools actually, uh, but I would say this is an interesting uh, stage here because I think this is often left out. You set up your AWS or Google Cloud account, and when things are working, you're so happy that they're finally working that you're like, oh, now client can start using my application, mm -hmm. and then you sit back and enjoy your beer. This is the security these days. Deploying sensor, getting sensor into environment, and then they report data back to you, and then get triggers to get mm -hmm. to know something. It's not something is happening in your environment that should not happen, and then alert you. Sure. Uh, so I think this is an important step here. It's important things, and then scanners. Yeah, I work with a lot of scanners, and in the end, I just start. To doing, start building my own type of scanners because uh, see most of the scanners, I haven't tested this scanner but the most scanners you're scanning like IPs and stuff and in, into the cloud, I don't have that many ports open, I only have like 18443 so it's the point of scanning the port range, I want to have like deeper web application scanners inside my uh, my web ports, but scanners are great, if you open up a, a bad port or something, you want to know about it, uh. yeah I think this is important. This is like, this is the ops part that sometimes are missing when you deploy things. I mean, when you have the application running, it runs. This step is like making sure that the application runs for a longer time. That's more like uh, visibility and file. I mean, the stage called visibility and initial remediation. Like, you got yeah. the kingdom in front of you with uh, some unknown issues. So you discover yeah. those issues, you close down the most problematic gaps, and then build a plan. Of yeah. course, it's less, it's less than detection because the stage four is detection. Yeah. And stage four, but before we move there, Julian, do you want to do a plug for Google Cloud? What do you do with Google Cloud? What are the tools? Yeah, for city security, that's the okay. only tool. Otherwise, the, the rest is embedded. Like you, you don't yeah. really need uh, much more than that. Okay. Then when it comes to detection, it says detect issues from logs and events and enable 
and enable investigations to logs, perform regular yeah. scanning of accounts for security issues, document yeah. your security guidelines for your company. And you want to ensure you can minimally to, be, to do the following. And he says, receive a notification about a guard duty alert from one yeah. of your accounts. Be able to uh, be able to alert on access denied errors from cloud trail logs and be able to search through the cloud trail logs to see all of the actions performed by a principal during a time period. So those like the minimal stuff that you need to have for detection. A cloud yeah. outlined in this white paper. I would say like uh, access denied is actually quite quite a thing that people miss. For yeah, instance, in CloudTrail, you could enable CloudTrail for control events. So someone calling IPI to change something. And you can also enable it for data events, which increases traffic. And you will pay more for CloudTrail, uh, but you will be surprised how much you are missing. Like when yeah. we enable that, I actually we start to get alerts of some unknown entities trying to pull objects from S3 buckets. Which means that those unknown entities know about that the bucket exists and they know about the key in the bucket. Yeah. In some cases, it's like a scanning, so like they're trying to pull just something, they, yeah. like guessing the name. Time to time, we see the users mistakenly using credentials from one account to get stuff from another account. But time to time, we do see a weird stuff that you know people trying to access something they shouldn't have no idea about. And that yeah. can give you a clue that you might disclose this information somewhere else. So, and also if someone trying to do something, well, not the data related, but the control API related, and getting access denied constantly, and if you see like ramp up of those going up, that's also a warning for you that someone is up for something no good. Yeah, I mean, this this was interesting this day, because I mean, you want to detect that something strange something that you don't expect is happening because it's hard to block uh, i am user to deploy a new ec2 instance with port 22 open you can have all these policies and stuff it will detect it and remove it but but it's hard to to block them uh, and instead you want to have detection then it's easy to set up and a detection environment that detect that the port is open and then uh, ping on slack or whatever you like well, and, you could, you could uh, allow people to deploy EC2 instances, but don't allow them to create security groups and have like, just predefined yeah. security groups. That's my one option. Or use something like Sentinel with the Terraforms and have uh, policy as code with your information as code, or else Pulumi allows you to test what you deploy before you deploy. Yeah. So there are different ways. Actually, I, 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 I saw the talk about using open... Uh, Open policy agent with Terraform. You can actually yeah. use Open Policy Agent with Terraform and then have those policies apply. You have to oh, run this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was thinking about Open Policy Agent. How, how much have you been working with it? Isn't that a tool for, for this as well? Because then you can apply policy for almost everything, right? Yeah, it's coming from Cloud Native Incubator and it's like initially yeah. was intended for the Kubernetes. But it's quite generic and it could be used with anything. And I, I, on last Saturday, I presented a cloud native meetup in Bangalore. Yeah. 
and the guy before me was actually showing a demo how he was using open policy agent with Terraform. So he would generate the Terraform's uh, plan and then apply the and then run it through the open policy agent to see if there is something that valid, you know, if there is something that shouldn't be there. You can and also can, use it on your Kubernetes manifest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is his intended use originally. Yeah, that's gonna. That's uh, Tam. I was thinking about question, and now I slip my. What, what kind of tools do you use to detect your own stuff? Are you only using this uh, cloud tool? Because the things we see here is, of course, AWS tools. But I mean, there are open source tools that you can use to detect strange behavior. In I mean, in Kubernetes, Falco is a great tool for detecting unwanted behavior. There's a lot of. Uh, commercial tools as well that you can get. I mean, if you go over to, to VMs, there are a lot of host and fusion detections and, and uh, network sniffer, they can detect different tools. Uh, you you, you of... will need to advise me on uh, data exfiltration tools because uh, we're basically trying to go as, as much as we can with a uh, with cloud offering, so like some vendor offerings, but I would... Uh, I think we need to step up our game on the data exfiltration. Yeah, I mean, what I'm doing now, I'm setting tools to detect, to get data. I mean, all the tools you see here from AWS, but also from, from the Kubernetes cluster, mm-hmm. uh, from the apps, and then uh, store everything. And then I hope I can convince Julian here for a machine learning things that can go through all this data and calculate the algorithm and then uh, yeah, but that's what uh, that's what happened on. Uh, well, I, I I talk only for Google Cloud. Sorry, I don't know yeah. about AWS. But uh, so you can gather all the Kubernetes logs and Prometheus, like the app level and the cluster level. You can just yeah. swallow that, swallow all those logs, and on Google Cloud you can store you can store those logs in a data warehouse called BigQuery. Yeah. And recently, it's still uh, in beta, but BigQuery has a pre-trained model for predictions. So you you can already have, uh, like, train a machine learning models on your logs based on, let's say, the number of connections or the origin of the connections or those kind of features that you can use and make prediction. And then you can have anomaly detection. It's not 100%, but I, I was surprised how good it is. Uh, yeah. I, w- I would still have a human check that for, you know, to, to, before letting loose the machine. But uh, I, I really believe that this is the future. You, you will not uh, do that manually in the future. It's I mean, getting yeah. more and more automated. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when I started with security, I, I daily look at the, the logs. I could scroll down some pages and look at the logs that were like generated. Like, okay, I looked at all the logs now. I'm fine. And just check it off with, with the sign. But I mean, now in the cluster, you get, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of events coming in. It's no way to be able to, to find anything. It's just look at trends and see if something sticks out of the ordinary. Find that yeah. one. And that machines are much better at doing that than, than humans. Yeah, now it depends on the scale you operate on. But uh, 
Like if you have like millions of events per second, no one is going to ever check those. Oh. Too much log is just too much noise. You you cannot refine it. And the, yeah. the, the point of that is to either you aggregate them to have yeah. like a, a narrowed view of, okay, this is the total. Is, is there something that seems reasonable or not before digging in? So you, you need different layer of abstraction before you yeah. dig into, oh, it is that server. Otherwise, yeah, it's yeah, too yeah. much noise. Nobody, like, it's not, uh, a, you know, like a plain monitoring tool, you know, like with the, all these screens and everything. Like, basically, yeah. it's something you, you want to be automation. Quite, quite, many, um, quite many commercial offerings for that. Uh, but I'm not really sure if there is anything open source. I, I, ha- I haven't looked, I should say. I haven't looked. Well, well I mean, Elasticsearch is, is working hard on this. They have some some capabilities for it, but uh, I usually use the, the standard way of like looking at log, the flow of the data, and then pick out, pick out some strange behavior in the flow of logs. I mean, they have some CM capability, but... They're like focus on logs have to come from this service in this way to make it work. And my logs are usually like almost in a mess or in, in some other way, and then then it breaks. But I think it's coming from from also the fact that you have like the monitoring of your of all of that will also help you reduce cost because yeah. you you have like load on it. So actually, by by just putting the work into there, you would save money. You understand? Yeah. So that, that's for me, it's a good investment uh, in terms, financial terms. Yeah. So I think this is this is what happened with security before you were focused on like firewalls. Do you remember the port knocking we had, right? Did anybody you did any port knocking with IP tables? No. Yes. You send yes. a request. I'm, yeah, I, you did. It. I, I know I, that you did. I'm I'm not nodding. You cannot hear yeah, it, yeah, but okay. I'm nodding. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this was the. It was so many years ago. You did port knocking things to keep things out, but now it's no way you can keep keep developers or operations guys, anybody to deploy things that is not secure uh, or bad guys from coming in. So it's more about this stage here, stage four detection, detect, detect things that happens that shouldn't happen, and then take action. I. Uh, still is as, as the today's security best practice. All right. We're moving on. We have yeah. a couple of more stages to go through and a limited amount of time. Oh, yeah. Sorry for for Stage reading. number five, which suggests that you use SSO for access, which is a pain in the back on AWS yeah. to configure. Remove all IAM users. Uh, it actually says remove all IAM users. Yeah. Remove all unused IAM roles. Yeah, so if you are using SSO, then you don't have any users coming. No, no. Remove all unused IAM roles, and when you're using SSO, the user comes in and he assumes the role and gets us temporary STS credentials. Yeah. Reduce the privilege of service roles to necessary services, like the least privilege principle. Implement pre commit hooks for secret detection so you don't commit something. And uh, in this chapter, he he goes about SSO and how you uh, MFA is also a good thing to use. And he also mentions AWS Vault. There is also an 
there's a tool for the for the marks that you could use, and then it will use the keychain to uh, basically populate environment variables for commands that you're running from your keychain. Ah, I see. So yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. top of my head, but I cannot remember it. And something, and yeah. chain, I think it's called. But but I, yeah, uh, I, I I like I like the AMM service account. I think I maybe use them too much. I think the, what you need to focus on as well, not of course keeping the the key safe is like setting up uh, what it can access. It's so simple just to click in, create a service account, and then give it too much access, and then save the keys, right? I would well, say that's well, my... But I want to say here, like, SSO with AWS is not easy to set up at all. Yeah. Uh, but if you're using Kashikorp Vault, what you could do is you could have Vault issuing temporary credentials, like temporary, the command line credential for your users. Yeah. And then using those temporary credentials, users can generate pre-signed links to log into console. In this wait, case... Wait, you... wait, 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 wait. This sounds really interesting here. I have Vault running in the AWS cluster. Are yes. you saying that I, I can as a user request uh, a temporary key? Yeah, basically... access. So basically, yeah. So basically, it works. You create a key pair for AWS uh, for the Vault, yeah. and then the user signs in to Vault and access a temp, uh, access a certain endpoint that you configure. It also gets a temporary user created for him, and he then yeah. gets a security key and a key ID back. Or Vault can assume the role and return the credentials for you. So there are two ways of doing that, and then with a with a role, eventually it will expire, and with a user, Vault will revoke, delete the user, and delete the credentials when the visa is over. But then, like with those temporary credentials, the good yeah. thing is that like there is a link that I could add to show notes that describes in AWS how you can write a little bit of automation to generate this pre-signed link using those temporary credentials, and then you just yeah. put this pre-sign link to the browser, and you don't need to log in. You automatically yeah. log in to the AWS console. And that's, uh, and that's login is attached to the same temporary credential, so, yeah. which is great for traceability. Okay, I used to have like uh, a moment, and I see if, if you can listen to this. How about if I say that these things with temporary credential would be the same thing as Circmanier was for uh, encryption or TLS. You remember the days when we struggled with TLS things, like uh, certificates, you need to resign it and you work with it. Today you just deploy search manager into the TLS cluster and wow, it's all taken care of. I don't have to do TLS anymore. How about I can get Walt to fix credential to my AWS cluster for me? So I only use temporary keys and and then it's like that's what Vault is for. It, it's even have a PKI infrastructure as if you if you need. <sighs> yeah. Okay. I need to work more. I, I, it would be so nice to remove all the two system from maybe. I, 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 I coming to I coming to Sweden so I can do a little bit of consulting. <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. We have to. I hope that. Uh, but yeah, I, w- I, w- I will send this episode to my manager and, and see see what happens, right? Yeah, well, I guess I, sh- <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't be voicing my rights. <laughs> <laughs> we-, we leave it for later. All right, stage yeah. number six. 
yeah, Redu- cool, reduce, reduce attack surface and mitigate compromises. Yeah. So what he suggests is, since you did inventory, you know where your crown jewels are, right? And you know what yeah. you need to protect. But also you ha- might have a lot of things exposed that shouldn't be. And what yeah. he suggests is that you enable SCP, which stands for Service Control Policies, which I yeah. called security policies before. And those allows you to restrict the regions, deny the root user access, protect your defenses, such as protecting your IAM role for security audit from being deleted, and so on and so on. And he has the links to the service control policies best practices. Oh, I've, oh, it's like when I hear this, it's, I get, it gets some chills. I like security a lot. But I don't like security when it starts blocking things. Yeah, but like, for instance, in AWS, you have all the regions on yeah, by yeah. default. And like, you're using like US East 1. And at the same time, someone can sit in the NEU 1, like UE West 1, yeah, and yeah. doing something. And you will never find out because you don't go there. Yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, it's. If I feel it's so hard when you have these security policies and they start limiting. If if I was a developer and I needed to get this S3 bucket up and I have clients in Europe and then I want the bucket as close as the client as possible, I want to be able to you know create my bucket there, pair it with a bucket in US, they have the same content and it can get the oh, my, thank my you said. It's not meant to disable stuff where a developer use it. It's meant to disable stuff where you don't use it. Yeah, like if, you're not, if you're not using particular regions, if you're not using particular services, just disable them. As soon as you yeah. decide to use them, enable them back. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a primary point here, and also like you know, prevent people from disabling CloudTrail. You know. Yeah. You don't want. But I mean, to, I, you know, some cloud, cloud, Yeah, CloudTrail. I can agree. I mean, that's something that should be able. But. I, I, I'm trying as a security to keep away from blocking developer making uh, like deploying and making a, making the things work as good as possible. I want them to be able to to be creative and, and use the, the power of the cloud and different sure, regions. Sure. You, you have to and find the I mean, balance. I, uh, I, that, that yeah, and, and if I block like a region, then we're back to this like. The developer coming with their hat in their hand to the ops guy saying, hi, I wanted to be able to deploy my bucket in US or in Europe. Can, can you please give me access? And you and probably want to have a conversation about that. <laughs> yeah, then, then the security officer will go, like, oh, do you really need a bucket in the US, Europe? And then it, it we're back to security best practice 99. Yeah. Well... Oh, yeah, you, I... I, I I probably it, de- it, like it the, depends on the yeah. case, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah. Let's well, not because I, I a little bit limited in time available. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Go on. So yeah. we, we finish with this one very quickly, but he mentions a really good points here. So he says that resources such as EC2 and S3 buckets should not be publicly accessible. Yes, they shouldn't. No. But instead should have an ELB in case of EC2 or cloud fraud in case of S3 in front of them. Blah, blah, blah. It has like a lot of benefits, including AWS Shield, which gives a DDoS protection, 
AWS WAF, which is an uh, application firewall, and also you have a better logging access. So good, good stuff. Another thing he says is that uh, recently the AWS Entrite used a new metadata endpoint, and you want to have that one enabled instead of the old one. And also in EC2 controls, if you're not using infrastructure as code, you have ability to disable metadata endpoint at all. So if you're not using it, disable it. Yeah. Yeah. So stage number seven, reproducibility and ownership. So what he says here, the three points, use infrastructure as code. Yes, do that. The whole podcast is about this. Control IMI and packaging and package sourcing. So see from where your IMI is coming from. And well, also like packages you're getting in. But the good, the, that's a good practice. So you are not uh, so you're not vulnerable for the how does it called supply chain and attack. Yeah. Apply tagging strategy. So you tag everything, and then you could have like attack policies. Making ensuring that everything is tagged. And for instance, we have automation that stuff that is not tagged being deleted within two days, which yeah. means that if someone just did something by hand, it will be cleaned up and we don't have to pay for it. But also, if the intruder is doing something, of course, if the intruder does enough reckoning and they can see, like, yes, everything is having tags, I probably yeah. should apply tags like, like those yeah. so I'm not popping up on the radars. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good practice. And I'm, I'm gonna speed up here, and we're gonna discuss that. Stage number eight: and chance detection. So you want to deploy honey tokens, which is like honey pots, basically. You either have a honey pots or honey tokens. And I think, but uh, he actually have a link here to his another post guidance on deploying honey tokens, but for people who are not familiar with the concept, is generating something that people don't have to access to and something that can alert you when someone is accessing. For instance, you can build in the automation in a PDF document that it calls a certain link when you open it. Yeah. And you put that document and you make to look at interesting like the, your company's financials, your company's strategy yeah. for the next year your company list of contacts with your supplier, stuff like that. As soon as it's being opened, you know Boom. you know someone opened it. There is something yeah, yeah, that yeah. To, to look for. Or like the honey pot, you have like easy to instance that it's vulnerable by default and you let them come in and you observe what, what the attacker yeah. is doing. So. I, I would say like in in AVS, probably have a honey pot server running, like probably have a SSH open. Yeah. Then all the other one are closed. So if you come in as an intruder and trying to see what's out there, you find oh this is an easy target here, and then you try that first, and then you detect it. That gives you an idea that yeah, someone is going around yeah. and doing something. Yeah. And he also suggests that implement real time monitoring. So this is more like the monitoring of cloud events seeing what's going on, applying heuristics with uh, guard duty or some third-party tools. Then we're coming to a stage number one, num- number nine, auto-remediation yeah. and privilege refinement. 
So what he suggests is that you implement automated remediation, which could be done through AWS config. Uh, you could set up a student described for Google Cloud. You could set up automated remediation. So if, for instance, it, depend, it detects the port open, it could close the port, stuff like yeah. that. And you refine the IAM, IAM policies, making sure that there, are, there is no access that don't have to be there. Stage number 10. Secure network wow. communications. Yeah. Move all non-public network resources in the private subnets and proxy outbound requests so you can filter and block them. Makes a lot of sense. Think of the data exfiltrations. This is where you detect it. Yeah. Restrict aggress network traffic. This is what people usually don't do. They just have like aggress open for everything. <laughs> and that's probably not what you want. I mean, because no. then, that, that they can call your the command control server and get instructions what to do next in your infrastructure. You, you want to restrict yeah. it to what it should be or like, you know, use zero trust networking. Like strive to get yeah. zero trust networking. So you yeah. all, so your service is talking only to the services that they're supposed to be so talking to and it's authenticated services. So they know and then it's your service. And finally, stage number 11, incident wow. preparation. Yeah. So limit the blast radius of incidents and practice responding to incidents, which makes a lot of sense. And once there is a once there is a problem, you want to be prepared and you want to know what to do. Like for instance, with the data breaches, like in US, the data breach is a very certain event, and you don't want to over-report. If you report something that is not data breach, you will be fine, and they will get on you. So you, you don't want to do that. And no. that requires people to be aware of what's what's going on, to have a communication and know how to act. So yeah. and that's a paper. And there, there are much more details in there that we can cover within the podcast. But uh, we will have it on our website, which is devsecops.fm. Yeah. So 11, you click on it, they're going to be show notes. We will add additional links in there. The tools that uh, Julia mentioned, we will add it there. And uh, yeah, so that's it for the paper. Yeah, it's a good paper. It's really specific for AWS. I mean, maybe we we'll talk with Julian here because they are. It, it's uh, called AWS Security. <laughs> <laughs> I would be surprised yeah. if we would be talking about Asia. Yeah, either. yeah. But a lot of them, of course, you can uh, have it's good practice for, for any system, how you harden them. Like uh, Another thing, like while talking about Scott and what he's doing, yeah. I, I saw an interesting post by him yesterday on LinkedIn where he had a graph comparing number of public IP addresses on different clouds. Yeah, <laughs> I did see that as well. And that gives you a good idea, you know. I'm not sure if he did that or if he's reposting somewhere else work, but that gives you a good idea of like the, how big the cloud or maybe yeah. how little people understand what they're doing. I don't know, maybe one of those two yeah. things. So it's not 100%, there might be like, you know, different cases, but gives you an idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think so too. And it's, but it's hard to set it up. I think... Uh... There's a lot of practices of things, as, as we discussed earlier, like infrastructure code, right? That's a good 
start practice. You know what, guys? Sure, your credential. I'm gonna say bye to the listeners right now because I have to go, and I suggest you okay. and Jul- you and Julian discuss uh, the rest of the paper. I, I, I really have to drop out. Sorry. Okay. Take care. All right, guys. Thank you for being here, people yeah. on the other end. Thank you for listening. <laughs> we'll, we'll see each other next episode. Yeah, and uh, I will also then end this show saying thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias Andre and Julian. For more podcasts and notes, go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.